And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 241 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on July 23rd, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the guy who single-handedly brought Tito's back from a bad second quarter, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? How are you feeling? <laughs> I feel exceptional. Yes. Uh, but, is that true? Is that really true? But the stories, you know how they, they say that you can drink as much Tito's as you want and you won't get a hangover? It's, this is not this yeah. is not true. This is fake news. That is, that is a myth. This is yes. I was just taste testing and it you know I and see. it got out of hand. But it no, I'm doing just fine as you can uh, You took you took literally the SAT test of Tito's is what you took. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just need to move topics uh, uh, because I can't talk about this because I have I have a stellar reputation. As you do not. Let's just be clear. Do. You do not have. I do. You, you, People you, think you, that well, I'm right. a really good and decent <clears throat> person. They don't need to know that I imbibe every once in a while. <laughs> they don't need to know this. Absolutely <laughs> do not. Did you become? When did you become Ned Flanders? Is what I want to know. <laughs> I don't. That's what I'd like. I don't to know, know. About three years ago, I think I is see. what it was. Yeah. I How see. are you doing, sir? <clears throat> Jeez, I can't. I'm doing talk. well. We go. go ahead. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I it, you know, um, I won't get all poetic here, but I've been reading some poetry lately, and, and there was a poem that uh, I was reading just um, last week, and it sort of sums everything up, which is, um, and maybe I'll even try, I'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes, because it's just a great poem uh, by uh, George Gilbert. Um, and the the poem, basically, the summary of the poem is ostensibly, you can you, you not only have sort of a, a a the option of being you know looking at the situation that you're in right now as being a good one but you almost have a responsibility because if you worship the problem basically then all you're doing is allowing the problem to overtake you and so you have really a responsibility to find as he says find the delight um, and not necessarily always happiness, but it's finding the delight and the joy in life is truly one of your primary responsibilities. And I'm finding a lot of delight and joy right now in life. So um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be you know concerned about. There's a lot to be angry at. The level of stupidity never ceases to amaze me. But, you know, but all in all, I'm, 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 I'm feeling pretty good about life. You? That's very that's very calming. Uh, yeah. Does this mean that your your Friday concoction <clears throat> has become a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday concoction? Well, how? I'm not taking the SAT test that you are, um, <laughs> but um, I have. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I have. You know what I've discovered? I will tell you this. What's that? Uh, I have discovered that fake beer, non-alcoholic beer, is. These days, I mean, when I was growing up and my dad used to drink it, it was just awful. But these days, it's really quite tasty. Uh, is this? A, are you serious when you're saying this? What, what kind? Of- I'm serious. Yeah, no, I have replaced. So I've I've tried. I have tried to cut back a little bit on my alcohol intake um, because I was doing a Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday concoction, um, and so I wanted it not necessarily because I was concerned that I was drinking too much, but I was you know I'm concerned about the caloric intake. Quite frankly, um, trying to lose a few and. You know this fake beer, this non-alcoholic beer, um, and not I. They, I get nothing from this, and no, no <laughs> shilling involved here. But I'm drinking this Heineken 0.0, and it's really tasty. It's really good, as my dad would call it. It's the Heinekens, the Heine, <laughs> right? The Heineken. Yeah, it's it's never right. Heineken. It's never Heineken beer. It's Heinekens. Can I have a Heinekens? Is that yeah? You know, it's I guess yeah. that's well. That's good to know. I that's uh, I'm just gonna have to take your word for it because it just seems like a waste of time. If I'm it, here's the thing. I I I have it with dinner, right? So instead of having some beer or wine with dinner, um, you know, if I'm having a burger or you know or you know some pasta or something like that, I'll have you know a non-alcoholic beer, and it totally 
quenches that sort of itch. You know what I mean? It's 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 I, you know I have to say I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Wow, I I had no idea. I I would not have pegged you for the zero point zero. I I would not have either. Yeah. I, I would not have either. I would have uh, you know and you know it, were it any other time, I probably wouldn't have gone down that road. But um, but I did, and I'm glad I did because you know I mean look here's the thing: normal beer, hundred and twenty something calories. Um, non-alcoholic beer 60 calories so you know it's just it's half right it's so it's 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 uh it's a good thing and it's you know it's good for my health and blah 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 to that too but, 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 you know but let I mean? me so basically for 60 more calories i can get about four or five or six percent alcohol it's basically what you're telling me right that is correct yes that is correct if you, you want to look at it that way i don't know yeah, if i like if you want to look at it that way. I just and look uh, to be clear i'm i'm pouring tequila into that beer so um <laughs> no I'm well kidding, now it but, all makes um, sense yes <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's like you're treating it like a lemon or a lime is basically how you're treating <laughs> that, it. That this this correct. totally makes sense to me now uh, to answer uh, your question i'm doing fine this segment of yeah. the show brought to you by tito's cuervo and heineken yeah, exactly. so. we were, well you and i were talking before the show this could be a mess of a show or it could be one of our best ever uh i'm, I'm leaning toward the mess side but yeah. you know that's all good well, it's always a safe place to lean because it, it can only go better from here than if you lean into the mess. <laughs> uh, I am excited about baseball starting. Yeah, baseball starts today. Uh, I mean, there's nothing against, I got nothing against golf or NASCAR, but and I'm, I've always been a, a baseball guy and football. Yeah, of but course mostly, you have. But yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope, I really hope they, they can make this thing happen. And the sixty, I really game. do too. Well, I really do it helps. Too. It helps uh, teams like the Indians. The sixty game sprint that they're doing it helps teams like the Indians that normally probably wouldn't have a chance. They'd be competitive, but and sixty games, anything can happen. It's like uh, you know, it's like six games in the NFL. Like you could right. have, yeah, you know, the Carolina Panth- Panthers be six six and zero, oh, but you know, good luck. Or the McLean Browns, for that matter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we had a strong. We have we had many strong starts in the past, you know, sixty years of not winning. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Yeah, it's it's you know, I mean, you've got the baseball thing for sure, and then we've got football very very quickly on its heels here. Um, they just announced that they're not going to do any preseason games, and so it's that's going to be just weird. Well, you know, thank, I mean, the, with no preparation, I mean, anything can happen. Anything can happen, but nobody likes preseason games. I mean, I, right? And the fourth I, one, well, the fourth I, one, you know, never four, even I've always thought were too many. A four, I thought was always too many, but two um, was good, right? Because two, I, I really enjoy, look, I'm a football nerd. I mean, I, I, I completely nerd out on this stuff, but... I really enjoy watching the rookies battle for position, right? And so I really get, you know, and watching, you know, sort of the, the you know, watching them test plays and watching them test, um, you know, some different concepts. Um, I, you know, I, I really geek out on that stuff. Watch, you know, yeah, it, it, preseason is really the only time when I'll literally pick a position, like wide receiver or the line or something like that, and I'll just watch that the whole game. Like I'll just watch that position the whole. Like I won't watch the game game, but I'll watch the individuals. The game within and, the game. Yeah, exactly, and you it's fun. Are, it's, yeah, it's, you know, no, yeah, hardly anybody does that, but you do. No, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, yeah this yeah. is something that's that's unknown to me. No, I do, I yeah. do enjoy. I like the first preseason game because it it feels like okay, we're ready to go. In a couple weeks, we'll see real football. But by games three and four, probably to your point, I'm done with it. I'm like, come on! I get to see Baker Mayfield yes. throw one pass in the third qu- in the in the third game, and then that's it. He's done. So come on, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, anyways, is this yeah. a sports program? Are we? It is not. It is not. And so, in in basically to now, all of the international listeners who have been like hitting the thirty second button, 
Now is your time to stop. Stop hitting the 30 second button. We'll get to the. They're probably like, oh my we'll God, 10 the... minutes, and they're still talking about this stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yes, now we're going to talk about it for two more minutes. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely not. We are going to move right now into our top of the show segment, which, of course, is one item in the news that got our attention this week and kind of sets the theme for the other things that we'll talk about. And this one comes courtesy of. Ad age, um, and the uh, uh, and by the way, a big hat tip here to Will Reed who sent this over via email, and so thank you, Will, for that. It's been a fascinating article. The headline is Coca Cola. Um, you've heard of them, yes? Oh yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're no Heinekens, they, but yeah, they're no Heineken. That is for sure. Uh, Coca Cola will cut what they called zombie brands in a move to focus on fewer products and more efficient marketing. Uh, the article opens up by saying Coca-Cola will slash the number of products it sells and put a new emphasis on marketing efficiency as it tries to recover from what CEO James Quincy on Tuesday described the toughest and most complex quarter in Coca-Cola history. The global beverage giant reported a 28% drop in net revenues for the three months ending June 26th as earnings per share fell 32% to 41 cents. Executive blamed the pandemic, which has forced the closure of bars, restaurants, and other so-called home away from home, uh, or excuse me, away from home channels. Uh, Sales have improved as establishments have reopened, but with countries uh, coming back at different speeds, some like the U.S. experiencing the dumpster fire. No, I called it the dumpster fire. Let's call it setbacks. Um, executives were careful about being too bullish. The article goes on to talk about how the company is really looking at prioritizing their marketing efforts and really pulling back uh, the number of brands that it puts into the marketplace. So uh, I think this is really interesting. What, what was your take on this? You know, I think you're, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you're seeing brands do this or go the opposite direction. So, I mean, what if you want to call it, you know, focusing on, um, you know, the, the GE, <clears throat> traditional GE Jack, uh, Lynch model. What Jack uh, Jack Welch, I'm sorry. Jack Welch model where it's like, okay, we want to be number one or number two. And then if we're not, we're, we're going to forget those and just focus on being great at some things. Um, that could be it. It also could be the fact that I think what you're going to see over the next couple of years is, all these sub brands and mashups, it just they've, they've been getting out of control. I mean, I think <laughs> I think we we're some of this was going to happen anyways because we have to come back to normalcy because there's so Coca Cola has so many different products and they're probably in a number of businesses that they shouldn't be in. That said, I love the I love what they're doing for Coca Cola. I don't know if it would be good better for a smaller brand or a challenger brand for, but for coca-cola i think this is where you say look we we are going to look at what we're great at we're going to put resources in those areas and become great and, and you know i've talked about this all the time I, that's what i believe the same thing is true for like social media or anything with your content marketing you don't have to have 16 17 18 different initiatives out there and be everywhere your customers are at focus on the one or two you can be great at that you can build an audience and that you can have a great experience and, you know, forget the rest. So I don't know. Do you, do you agree with this move that they're making? I, I, I do. Um, but I, I would have agreed with this move pandemic or no pandemic. Um, you know, they're, they had too many brands yes, to begin I with. I agree with right? that. They, there was way too many brands that they had. Um, you know, I mean, it, the article even speaks to the point that, um, half of the 400 master brands that they have, um, half of them account for 2% of revenue, right? So that tells you something wow. right there. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, so that you could literally cut your revenue by 2% by just literally cutting, you know, 200 brands out of the, out of the marketplace. Um, what so I guess the, the, the interesting thing to me was, and maybe it shouldn't been, um, you know, being sort of a, a business and marketing guy, um, was how much of their business was restaurants and and bars. Um, you know, I, I, w- I if you had asked me just on the street, like where does you know where's more Coca Cola sold, I would have said, well, okay, you know, probably um, you know cans of Coke and you know and grocery stores. Yeah. Right. But apparently not. Apparently uh, the vast, you know, and, and, and the more I think about it, the more I go, I kind of go, oh, yeah, no, duh. Right. Restaurants where you're getting free refills and all that stuff. Um, you know, definitely the number of servings of Coca-Cola, you know, the beverage are 
way higher in movie theaters and restaurants and bars and the places yep. that you know aren't open right now but i just would not have expected it to be so pronounced and not yeah now i guess you're right now just think about it. i mean movie theaters i mean that is huge for them you can't buy your yeah, bucket of coke right. and well you know right and you know not only movie theaters but sports facilities yeah. and you know and theme parks and you know basically everything that's closed is where you get coca-cola but, and you know, you know it just i mean th- but think about the problem that coca-cola has then i mean theoretically this this could be a longer term move uh, as people are changing their behaviors. I, I mean, who knows? Is it going to be? Is this a year of depression that Coca Cola is going to have because you're just going to have less people go to uh, you know movie theaters or amusement parks? I mean, it's it's interesting because Cedar Point Amusement Park it's right by it's in Sandusky, Ohio, right by Cleveland. I grew up right next to Cedar Point. They just reopened a couple weeks ago, and they put a limit on the amount of people that would come in. So you had to go online into their app, and you had to reserve your spot so that you could get in. Then you buy your ticket or you have your season pass or whatever. And they did that because they were trying to keep 20% capacity. Well, they removed that now, Robert, because nobody's going to the park, which is crazy, Right. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this right. is all a, you know, you can put all the, you know, don't do this or lock this down or whatever. We're right now, we're just talking about people are changing their behaviors right now and they're not going to do things that they normally would do. And there's even a less, because I thought, oh my God, 20%, uh, they're absolutely going to get 20% of that park to fill up uh, because people are dying to get out and they want to go on rides or whatever, but it's not happening. So that that trickles down. To Coke, AMC closing trickles down to Coke. McDonald's earnings got hit recently, and even though they're doing great drive-through business, they're still selling less Coca-Cola. So yeah, this is for sure. this is going. It, so I guess well, my take is is that me, you you can do you can you can say okay let's focus on our big brands like Coca-Cola like whatever, but Coca-Cola is not going to necessarily come back to pre-pandemic levels for a while. That's right. So. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, a quick question. So you're, so I don't drink Coca-Cola products at all. Um, so full stop. <laughs> I'm drinking, I'm too busy drinking my Heineken's. Um, <laughs> um, but I know your family, not necessarily Coca-Cola, but soft drink products yeah. are, do you find that you're buying more at the grocery store because you're not going out and having it at a movie theater or a restaurant or whatever? Are you still keeping up or have increased your consumption of soft drinks as a result? Or is it about the same as it was and you're just sort of, you know, either not drinking as much soft drinks or, or, you know, um, making it last or how, uh, I think how has it affected your Yeah, purchase? it's about the same. At, I mean, you know, my wife loves uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, so there's still yeah. plenty of that going around. But I would say overall, we're definitely drinking less soft drinks. And so that's bit. I mean, Pam and I went to a movie every Tuesday at AMC. I mean, that was kind of our right. thing, yeah. and we're not doing yeah. that anymore. And I always got one, I always got the bucket of, of Coke from the Freestyle Machine, right? So exactly, yeah, it's absolutely and yeah, it's it's just it's crazy to think about if we just go through all the behaviors that have changed for us, you can see how these things add up to you know that's why you have the haves and have nots now. You've got. I mean, Amazon is absolutely taking over the world. And then you have all these, I mean, I guess the big, the big companies are getting bigger and the small companies are going out of business where if let's, let's just take the restaurant business. If you are a chain uh, and you are a national chain, you will most likely come out of this in two years. No problem. You might have, have you know, better revenues or whatever, but if you're a small restaurant, uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to stay open in this environment. We, oh, we've seen, yeah. I've seen a whole, I don't know about you, but we've seen a whole bunch in the Cleveland area that have just shuttered. They're not reopening. So I, I don't even know why I brought that up to the fact that it's, uh, the, the environment, the consumer environment we are going through right now is absolutely going to permanently change. The, the, the concern that I have is the small businesses are really going to get crushed here. And the big companies yeah. are just well, going to become bigger. You're going to have, I mean, as we come out the other side of this, you're going to have the businesses that die 
and are replaced with new ones that can, you know, that are that are built from the ground up to support this new model, right? More take from home, you know, more, you know, delivery, more, you know, sort of outside seating, et cetera. All of that will will definitely have a have a role to play, and then you'll have those that sort of can weather it, right? That those those can, you know, weather. You know, in other words, somebody somebody said to me the other day they were they were talking about New York, right? And they were pointing to one street um, somewhere in in Manhattan where you had all these storefronts that were basically bars and restaurants and stuff, and you know they were taking a photograph of it, saying, you know, these stores and these restaurants and bars may never reopen. Um, and I think that's true that those stores, but you know, the, the, the street level real estate, commercial real estate in Manhattan, that's not going away, right? That's not, no, that's not going to die. They will be replaced with something else. Uh, yeah. And probably an opportunity in commercial real estate right now, right. because you know that it's absolutely going to come back. The problem is, and, and Scott Galloway talked about this on his podcast, New York has a problem, temporary problem right now, because their feature always used to be shoulder to shoulder in these bars and restaurants and eateries and whatever in New York. And that was part of the excitement as you're around so many people. That was a feature. Now it's a bug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So, you know, that's a great, that's a great point of view. I like well, that. So yeah. that's where, that's where New York is at right now. Now does New York in, in two years, is it, a, it probably is not a problem anymore, but right now it's going to be an issue. So yeah, so other yeah. things will move into those areas. But yeah, if, you, if you're if you're one of those really hip uh, New York restaurants where you're sitting, you know, two a foot away from the person next to you, uh, that's not happening right now. It's not going to happen for a while. I, yeah, I don't know. It's unfortunate. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our next story, which gets us into our segment, second segment of the show, which, of course, are the articles that Joe and I have been collecting throughout the last week that have interested us and wanted to talk a little bit about. And the first one um, does bring us back to uh, the lovely city of New York, and it is about the New York Times. Um, the article itself comes from Axios. Uh, do you subscribe to that newsletter? No, is I don't. how you... No. You don't? I don't. Uh <clears throat> Did I send this to you? Uh, no, you did actually. <laughs> I don't so, know. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how these stories these they just appear. They just you yeah. get them in the show flow, and I'm like, I don't know if I sent that to you or not. But this is great. That's that's <laughs> Tito's brain for you, folks. That's what that is. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. the uh, wonderful article opens up by saying one of the country's oldest and most established media companies, that would be the New York Times, of course, is starting to look a lot more like a Hollywood studio than a traditional newspaper. Uh, driving the news, uh, the New York Times has 10 scripted TV show projects in development, as well as three feature documentaries coming out this year and several other documentary projects in development and production, executives tell Axios. Uh, why does this matter? Well, because the company, as the article says, has been relatively quiet about how seriously it has taken its TV ambitions over the past year, in part so that it doesn't set itself up for too much scrutiny in experimentation mode. Uh, as well, says the sources who talked to Axios. The details, um, they la announced a slew of new projects that are being greenlit for television, including a, a documentary uh, of called Father, Soldier, Son, um, and then another one, uh, The Jungle Prince of Delhi, uh, The 1619 Project, which will be produced and co-produced with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and of course, the New York Times Presents, formerly called The Weekly, began its new season last week on Hulu and FX. Um, interesting. Uh, this is sort of the opposite of what we just talked about, right? Here you've got one of the larger media companies on the planet starting to really diversify, not sort of lean into one product, but rather diversify into numbers of products and get, um, you know, sort of take advantage of content creation. Well, and it's not over diversification like Coca-Cola. So I think it's a little bit right. different from that standpoint. But, you know, as we've talked about many times on this show, you know, in New York Times, they built their audience and following with the newspaper. And they've been slowly diversifying their product offerings over the years. And probably New York Times is slower than most. You know, they, they, they haven't moved as quickly as the BuzzFeeds and the Vices of the World they quick, which quickly created a, an audience and then, oh, we're going to diversify like crazy. I like 
the approach of New York Times. I think this totally makes sense in what they're doing. Once, you, I mean, they could go so many places here, and they have been experimenting in a lot of different things. Like what what they do with the uh, the virtual vi- they did the virtual news stories for a while, um, which yeah. I don't think really yep. took off. But you know, they're they're testing and they're experimenting. Um, this is perfectly in line with what they're doing. They're they're keeping sort of their mission for great reporting. And they're making sure they get that and leverage that New York Times brand. I, I, lo- I actually love, you know, if you were going to look at a media stock right now, you'd probably look at the New York Times because of the fact, and I talked about this on my newsletter recently, I like the fact that they don't have, they're not beholden to any advertisers because they have so many paid subscribers. That's really, really important. So once you have that paid subscription model, you can open yourself up to these types of opportunities. So like, let's just say the New York times was, you know, Coca-Cola or some, you know, trying to get in the, in the content marketing field. Uh, hopefully Coca-Cola focuses on building their audience one way on one platform consistently over a long period of time. And then they would go ahead and diversify. That's the right way to do it. New York times has done it. They've just done it over a hundred plus years. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's an, uh, what they have done is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, you know, obviously we'll we'll see if they can succeed with it. But this is, you know, this is this is right out. I mean, you know, not 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 surprising certainly, but this is right out of the Content Inc. You know, playbook, right? You know, start with one thing, get extremely good at it, and then launch your next platform and your next platform and leverage your content brand to start to build you know, a diversified large number of revenue streams to really not make you beholden to any one sort of model, right? Where any one model goes away, you've got another one to, to lean in on. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a really good, um, you know, and, and, and of course the New York times has the brand now to be able to do exactly that. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget, you know, I mean, I, 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 I talk about this all the time. Um, the, you know, the, the, the thing you told me, we were at the, I mean, it was, it was such an innocuous statement at the time, but it really had impact on me. We were at the beginning of some workshop and, and I was lamenting the stock, you know, drop and the number of, you know, the, the, how small New York times had gotten, you know, during the whole, um, you know, uh, sort of disruption of everything and blah, blah, blah. And you said, it's not, they're not getting smaller. They're getting right sized, right? They're getting, they're the right size that they need to be. And it's, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah. Right. They, they, they basically by diversifying, they got leaner. And, and I think that's, it's, it's, it's such an important thing when we talk about the Coca-Cola example, or we talk about New York times, Really, what we're talking about is not getting smaller or getting bigger, but rather opening yourself up in a way to leverage your content brand or your brand to really what is important and really figuring out how to get as many streams of revenue to be in in any number of businesses to create yourself as a platform to really drive that. If you look at the Coca-Cola example, you know, yeah, 400 brands is too many. 200 of them could be lopped off without any noticeable change yep. at all. The rest of the 200 you could focus in on. And how does Coca-Cola start to build in multiple revenues that doesn't depend so heavily upon the places that are going to never reopen in the same way? And with New York Times, it's kind of the same thing. It's how do they build new revenue streams for the places that won't, you know, the advertising model that won't be there in the same way that it was pre-pandemic. So just, a, I think just a fascinating case study, really looking at the same, same idea, but it's how do we actually, you know, figure out how to open ourselves up to more revenue and more value streams than, you know, than whether it is actually we should, you know, fire everybody or get everybody, you know, or, or quite frankly, diversify into multiple products and go on an acquisition spree. It's really figuring out the right size of the business. You know, I know that was kind of a ramble, but no, it's, it's a great, it's a great point. What's so funny about this, how just, you know, things come back around. Uh, I mean, 
20, 20 years ago, going to media, at least in the business to business publishing, which I was in, um, they were always about as we were going toward this paid subscription or membership model. And of course, into events. Those were the only two that most media companies, at least on the business side, were concerned about. So what they were trying to do was shed the print advertising, shed some of the other digital arms because they said, okay, we have, we, the, the models to be where we can get the highest multiples if we're going to sell or if we want our stock to go up is the subscriber model and the event model. So you had so many companies over the last five years just focus on that, subscriber and event, and a lot of them just went event. So they really didn't diversify. They're like, okay, we're going to get rid of um, you know, all, our, all these other digital holdings that just you know, don't draw, drive the amount of revenue or profit that we want, and we're going to focus on events. Well, where are those companies at now, right? I mean, it's, that's why diversification is so, so important that you don't just want to put all your eggs in one basket, and that's what's happened in the media industry for the most yeah. part. Now, well, now, now they're coming it, back. Now the sexy brands are the ones that are diversified, and that's like a New York Times. Yeah. Well, and so let's, I want to segue quickly to the next article because it's just a continuation of this discussion. Um, because the flip side of that coin, just exactly to your point, is the, the next story that we wanted to cover. It's funny how this works out. It's almost like we designed it this way. Um, it comes to us from the uh, uh, Financial Times, FT.com, and it says carnage for digital publishers that was supposed to be in a turnaround year. And the article starts off by saying, um, it was supposed to be the year that digital publishers finally turned a profit. After years of cost-cutting, consolidation, layoffs, and missed forecasts, venture capital-backed companies, including BuzzFeed and Vice Media, were on stronger footing at the start of 2020 and feeling optimistic again as their businesses matured. Uh, the quote from uh, basically from BuzzFeed says, we were coming into this year as an industry in the best place we had been operating in for a long time. Handful of companies had gotten big enough to feel like they had some control of their own destiny. That quote is from BuzzFeed's uh, chief executive, uh, Ben Lehrer. Oh, excuse me. Ben Lehrer is an investor in BuzzFeed and chief executive of Group 9 Media, the older, uh, owner of Dodo and Thrillist. Um, then the pandemic struck, says the article, throwing these plans into disarray. Publishers faced an advertising climate not seen since the 2008 financial crisis. And suddenly the question in a given week wasn't how much money these companies were making, but how much money did they lose? And the article then goes on to describe BuzzFeed and Vice um, in kind of a burying the lead kind of way, interesting, says, yeah, they're doing okay. <laughs> kind of a clickbaity headline that basically says everybody is in carnage, but then they basically go, well, they're doing all right. They just haven't done particularly well like the New York Times or the Financial Times who have a subscription revenue to cushion the blow. Um, what did you think about this article and how does it sort of play into what we were just were talking about? Uh, man, I mean, if you, if you look at BuzzFeed and Vice, well, first of all, I love the business model of BuzzFeed. I didn't even know they had a toy store. Did you know this? I didn't know they had a toy store. I, I did know that just recently, yes, because I was doing some research for a presentation. But we do, we did know, because we've talked about it on this show, that BuzzFeed, do, they do run, um, have a number of household appliances that they sell at Walmart and Kohl's and whatnot. Um, the the BuzzFeed, it's it's too really this this came about six months too early because BuzzFeed was turning into they sell everything right. They built an audience. They built multiple audiences. They did amazing uh, transition from their social media connections, which weren't theirs, that they were basically renting from Facebook, and turned those into email subscribers. And they have something like fifty or sixty email newsletters now that are that are doing really well. And then they were able to launch ice cream, spice kits, household appliances all around this tasty brand. And so I love that. I think BuzzFeed's going to be just fine. Of course, they had to cut back quite a, they said they furloughed about 70 staff. Um, but I think that they're going to be fine with this. The problem is, and I guess that's the question I have for you is, does adver does advertising, which thankfully BuzzFeed's not, doesn't have 100% advertising revenues, but they have they have way too many, I think, to your point about right sizing. They're not right sized yet. This is way too heavy on advertising. Do you think this advertising cut is just a temporary two, three month blip, or do you think this lasts for longer? I think that basically you're gonna I, I, I think it's a blip. 
Um, and here's why. Um, I think you're going to see what I think is going to happen. Um, and this is, you know, obviously conjecture and, you know, hypothesis, um, is sort of a confluence of two things, which is one, the sort of coming out of this sort of COVID post COVID 2020, all the things of 2020 hashtag, um, that will start to reemerge maybe early next year, maybe mid next year, whatever it is. But you've also got, which is something I'll talk about a little bit about in the, um, in, in the uh, rants and rave section that's kind of happening under the current, which is more and more of the data privacy and lack of first party cookies and some of the, you know, the death, if you will, I know that's an overused term, but the sort of evolution, let's maybe call it of programmatic advertising. Um, which has driven so much of the digital media spend for so long. I think what comes in its place is more of a classic brand advertising reach and frequency model of just getting in front of audiences. Um, so I think it itself right sizes, if that's the right word. So is it the same value that it is as an industry right now? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it comes back to that level, um, but I know that it will that real estate will be filled. Um, and so I, I think you'll start to see it be a, maybe a smaller but simpler business um, because of those two things, right? It literally just becomes, ah, you know, Financial Times, there are people who are interested in financial information. I'm not trying to do some first party cookie thing where I'm tracking somebody across the web. I'm rather just putting up a banner ad because I'm interested in reaching people who are interested in financial yeah. you know, information. So I think that's the way it comes back. I think the issue is, and there's a chart in this FFT uh, report that talks about percentage share 2020 U.S. digital ad revenues. And basically, Google, Facebook, Amazon, that's basically all of it, you know, has whatever, yeah. 90 percent. Those, those bar graphs are going to come down for sure. Um, and, and the ones that are going to come down are Facebook. Um, I think Amazon goes up and I think Google comes down slightly and then may come back if they can figure out what they're doing. Um, but I think Google and, and Facebook are, are facing some interesting headwinds right now when it comes to, you know, because their whole thing is targeted advertising. Um, and you know, Facebook has its own brand issues right now. Um, but Google is, you know, there, I mean, you'll hear it in my, you know, in my commentary later, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing when this whole first party cookie thing goes away. Now, Google's one of the ones who's removing it. And so, yeah. but they're removing it in large part because the, you know, those that are making browsers, you know, your, you know, your, uh, apples and, and, and well, and of course Google themselves are making privacy a big deal. So it's 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 going to have there's there's a there's a ripple effect here for sure. Well, I think I think you're you're probably right. I think some of those will will adjust and come down, but I think the issue is when you're when you're looking at for any media company that wants to grow, they cannot be reliant on advertising. They have to come up with other no, revenue right. I think they have to come up with other revenue channels that are probably products and services. I don't know if somebody talked about this in a book somewhere, but I think that <laughs> right. I think that's what really has to happen. Where and you know, and you and I've talked about this forever, but it's worth repeating. You won't when you just look at the business model between the New York Times and Coca Cola because we've been talking about those two. If you just looked at it on paper, you might not be able to tell the difference if you're looking at a financial spreadsheet versus yeah, is it a media company right. or not. This is this is the problem right now with companies that are you know hurting like your vices and um, uh, courts and all the BuzzFeed and all that stuff that's going on is they're way too reliant on advertising and they they can't be you have the, you have right. to start with different models that don't lead advertising first and that's what that the problem is that's what media companies have always done that's the lowest hanging fruit first thing we're going to do is advertising. Well, we've got to get away from that. I mean, we're just keep eating that apple, and one of these days we're just going to die. <laughs> I'm going to make that a T-shirt. Eat the apple and die. It's true. It's seductive. I mean, it, the, yeah, and, it, oh, it is. It's almost like it's a, a garden of Eden yes, or something, yes, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. So it it's it's a problem. So, and we're going to continue to have these types of events 
where media companies are in disarray until they get their business model set. And yeah, and I know we're getting there, but they're moving so slow. And that's where the opportunity is for brands that aren't media companies. Well, I think that's what you're seeing now, right? Is the acceleration of this sort of, you know, change, right? I mean, this was stuff that was coming down the road. We knew it was coming down the road, but yeah. you know, 2020 has been an accelerant for for so much change, right? I think that's the that's the biggest thing is when people talk about what happened in 2020 and did the did it change any trends? I don't think it changed much of anything. It just put it all on steroids. That's so right. you you got the you know the home yeah you, know, uh, you uh, pick up your own groceries um, all the delivery stuff all those stuff where they were growing but just at a small level and then all of a sudden boom you had this cataclysmic event and here we are uh, it was going to get there anyways but we just took five years off the time boom there boom. goes the apple boom. boom apple yeah don't eat the apple don't I eat the you. apple. Yeah. Well, in our last story that we'll cover for this week's show, um, it just segues beautifully into that because, of course, if advertising isn't the answer, what is the answer? And according to the ANA, uh, which is, of course, the Association of National Advertisers, uh, they have a new study out that was just released here in mid-July that says new report shows that spending on content marketing is climbing sharply. The press release that we'll link to, um, because for some inexplicable reason, they, uh, well, I guess they do link it very. Uh, it's way thing, at the bottom, the, the report. It's way at the yeah. bottom now, and it's a whole thing. Um, anyway, it's so <laughs> ANA. Anyway, um, the uh, press release basically says advertisers are embracing content marketing more than ever, despite having misgivings about the lack of accurate and insightful measurement of its effectiveness, according to a new study from the ANA in partnership with the Content Council. The study, Growth and Opportunities in Content Marketing, was conducted actually pre-COVID 2019 uh, and revealed that over a two-year period, spending on content marketing showed a 73% average budget increase. The report also projected a 42% spending hike two years into the future. Respondents showed their commitment to content marketing has grown substantially over the past two years, with 52%, just over half, indicating a strong commitment, doubling the figure from two years prior at 26%. Content marketing also commands a substantial portion, 18% of overall marketing budgets, according to respondents' current estimates of total spending. It goes on to quote a few people around this, around the, the sort of sources of the study, um, go through a couple of additional findings, which are interesting, um, and then, of course, you um, your general press release template <laughs> nonsense. Um, quote here, so, quote there, insight yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um, what were what? What did you think about this? What what do you, what do you think? Um, is this? I mean, you know, what what do you think about the A and A and the study and the whole? You know, all of these numbers. Well, I mean, I guess if you just looked at the numbers, you and I would probably say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. We've been talking about the the growth in content marketing for a long time. Um, I think some of the some of the ways that this is couched is a little bit bothersome to me because it. I mean, even uh, Bob Leides here, who's the CEO of the ANA, talks about um, you know this important study that content marketing has become in a very short time a major tool for marketers. Um, it's proof that a majority of advertisers are willing to experiment. Oh God, that irks me. I'm sorry that. Why, why is it, I know that the Association of National Advertising, but I mean, these are brands, they do, yes, do they, they do marketing and part of that marketing is advertising, but they're not first and foremost advertisers. I just, you know, I just don't like that. So the way that they're positioning this is this is like content marketing just came out of the blue. It's like, oh my God, this is, you know, this, the exper more and more brands are experimenting with this. Woohoo. Uh, I mean, when it's really been, I wish they would have couched it more into uh, this is a long, this has been a long time coming. We continue to see growth. We've been seeing growth for the past 20 years, but they don't have uh, the history uh, with it, if you will. But um, I think that right now we talked about, I think, I don't know if we talked about this a couple sh shows ago, but I, this is the, the third stage or the third era of content marketing we're going through and they happen after every tra tragedy we had the first 
Uh, first one after 9-11, we had the second one after the Great Recession, and that's when content marketing became like the official discipline with that name. And then now after this, this COVID crisis we're going through, you're going to see a major movement, and you already have been seeing a major movement into the you know, content marketing area, if you will. So, yeah, I, but I, you know, me in, in research studies, I, they, they, this, this, such a small number of people that were talked to. It's hard to make a lot of assertions on this with, uh, with only a hundred, hundred or so brands. Yeah. That, yeah. That's my, hundred. I like what yeah, it well, says. I mean, I love the, I mean, the message is pro pro and I love everything pro content marketing is great, but I don't know how much I can put into it. Yes, it was 126 responses um, in the actual study itself. Um, and uh, 90% of those client-side marketers, so not agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, 10% from academia, nonprofits, and, and associations. So basically, you know, 12 of, of those 126 were either academic or, or nonprofits or associations. And the rest of the 112 were client side marketers. Um, I agree, um, with you on the, you know, yay. Um, they made some chocolate cake and I'm glad that they got the chocolate cake out into the world. Um, but yeah, I was a little, you know, I mean, it's like, it's great. It's wonderful. I, here's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that the Association of National Advertisers is actually saying the words, right? Yes. I'm at, you know, I mean, I'm glad that they're actually saying the words content marketing. I'm also glad, although I've eh, some quibbles with their definition of content marketing, um, you know, in the study itself, they call it, you know, they say it's the discipline of creating content on behalf of a brand that's the part I quibble with designed with the specific strategy of influencing the intended target audience to drive a quantifiable, profitable result. I think that's a little too broad, um, to what content marketing versus marketing content would be, but Hey, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm glad they're having a party and I'm glad that, you know, that, that there are people at that party. So it's, you know, so yay. Um, you know, and we can, you know, hopefully they can evolve from there. But you know what? I agree with you. But the the significant thing, a part of this that that we we didn't really talk about is, and you said the words they're using the term content marketing, and that brings everyone in the industry together. Because for how many years had they been using branded content? Right. That's right. So this that's a, from that standpoint alone, this is a big deal. If you get more associations like the ANA and the Content Council using content marketing because you know as you know i've got a long history with the great people at the the content council and when you know they changed their name from the custom uh publishing council to the content council i mean i was pushing content marketing that's what you know when i was on the board there and there was a lot of fight um that that didn't happen of course they ended up calling themselves the content council and you know then we created this thing called content marketing <laughs> institute but anyways <laughs> But and seen, but but I like the fact that everyone <laughs> yeah. is getting on the same page because the biggest thing that was holding the content marketing industry back is that we were all using different words, we were all speaking yeah. in different languages. So, I think what yeah, you said so, is, is so critical is that if we're talking the same language, we're all on the same playing field and we can actually make some progress here. That's exactly right. And you know, I mean, there, there, there are six sort of best practices that they sort of introduce the thing with they're good they're 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 good good things right um it's a yeah, good so so yay yes um well speaking of good things um and well-intentioned things we have a sponsor we should talk about it oh absolutely is it sponsor time i it almost sponsor time yeah tito brain <laughs> it's sponsor time hey <laughs> this is coming up fast, folks. August 10th through 12th, 2020, the Content Tech Summit. I'm starting to see all this marketing. I know you've been sharing some stuff, Robert. Uh, it's the Content Strategy for Enterprise Marketers event. It is going to be, of course, virtual this year. You definitely want to get check this out. The agenda is up. The speakers are up. Uh, and I always talk about this event. Is It's really important for enterprise marketers that have complex content issues that are going on. And this is where you look at the technology behind it. You look at the strategy behind it. you get got some really smart people that are going to be presenting, uh, including, I believe, Robert Rose and others. 
and others will be correct. presenting. Yes. But you can use the coupon code PNR100. That is a P, an N, and an R, and then 100. <laughs> and you can get $100. <laughs> Folks, oh. he did that for his benefit, not yours. Exactly. Okay? So just, gotta, just so we're clear. Yeah, be gentle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, so you could get $100 <laughs> off, uh, and you need to do this soon because uh, it's coming up. And how many sessions are there? There's like a ton of sessions. There's a good number. Yeah, I don't know like what the total 50? number is, but there's. Uh, I don't think it's that many, but it's but it's it's it a looks lot. Like it's, that many, because I'm yeah. scrolling, 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 and it's a lot. It's it's multiple scrolls. It's the Tito yeah. scroll. Yes, it's the Tito. So, scroll. anyways, go to contenttechsummit.com. Uh, check everything out for yourself, uh, and use PNR100 as your coupon code, and uh, don't miss it. Fantastic. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a, a good couple of days there and uh, some really fun interstitial stuff, too, that I know that the team is working on, you know, some some fun, interesting, you know, not just a bunch of, you know, talking head webinars, but some fun videos and stuff like that as well. So it should be entertaining as well as educational. Did they give you um, some creative freedom? Because I, too much creative freedom for you is a concern not not for me oh not, I, i'm just i'm just I, I look i'm just a, i'm i'm just the dancing monkey up there sort of you know hosting the thing and and you know maybe imparting a little bit of experience but but most of those wonderful experts that we're bringing in will be providing some fantastic education but the team has been really leveraging their creative um you know skills uh, as the kids say with the z um and and basically <laughs> creating some amazing fun you know sort of interstitial videos to sort of go between so it'll be it's good it's not just a bunch of education it's also some fun entertaining stuff too fantastic yeah <laughs> fantastic all right fantastic. let's get let's get to our let's empirically proven favorite part of the show ladies and gentlemen which of course is our rants and rave section where joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has really got us feeling like we're happy that baseball's back or that we're figuring out how to actually adjust our masks i guess i don't know what it's going to make us feel like but anyway um do you want to go first or shall i i'll go, I'll first? go first because mine mine's okay. real quick it's it's a rave okay. um do you listen to the uh, Prof G podcast at all? I I do not. You do not. Okay. So I I it comes out every Thursday. I'm you know as we record this on Thursday, I'll I'll listen to the most recent one. He's about 16, 17 episodes in. I love it. I think anyone in marketing and ad advertising should uh, should listen to it. Um. So, but in a recent, and this was a couple weeks ago. But it's the Adam Alter episode of the Prof G podcast. And for those of you who don't know, Professor Scott Galloway, he's um, NYU uh, business school professor and uh, very, very popular. I mean, if you, he's got some YouTube videos and presentations that he's, he's done that have millions and millions of views. He, he also has a show uh, with Kara Swisher and some other things, but very, very popular guy. But he had Adam Alter on, and Adam Alter is a couple-time New York Times bestselling author. He's also associate professor of marketing at, at NYU Stern. So he gets on with Scott Galloway and discussed this idea, and he called it recombination. And I absolutely love this, Robert. And you know that you know the second, uh, the second stage of the Content Inc. process is finding the content tilt. And basically, the content tilt is all about you know, how do we break through all this clutter with a message that's truly differentiated? And there's a lot of businesses that have their sweet spot and they figure out, okay, here's what our customers want and here's what we're good at talking about. And they communicate that, but they don't ever figure out what that tilt is that really differentiates that message from you know everything else that's out there. And Alter talked about, about this as a recombination when he's thinking about creatively somebody building something. So the idea that Alter was talking about is, is that he says finding originality today is nearly impossible. And in his research with musicians and other artists for, I think he's got a new book coming out soon. Alter states that all the building blocks around creating art have already been developed. So today's creator must recombine already created elements into something that seems original. Like for example, if you, if you take rock and roll music, right? You'll say, oh, is that new? Or you could say, oh, is that a combination of, uh, country music and blues, and we'll just add guitars and a steady drum beat and rock and roll. Or you could think about it that way. 
And I've seen so many marketers and content creators really struggle to find original concepts because they're really looking for originality. So, but maybe Alter's right. Maybe there's not originality. Maybe what we need to do is take a couple different concepts and sort of, if you want to call them a mashup, and to break through all that content clutter, um, you don't necessarily have to be original so you can combine. And this really hit home with me, Robert, because, you know, content marketing, right? <laughs> content marketing. It was a very, you know, hundred plus year old discipline that just happened to be called, you know, custom publishing or custom media. And really all we did was we just changed the story a little bit and called it content marketing, uh, content marketing Institute. You know, was that a new concept? No. I mean, I totally stole that from Peter Hoyt who launched a point of purchase Institute. And I heard him present and he basically said, calling it an Institute was the way that we got, you know, X amount more revenue. So the the point is here, you you don't have to just struggle for that inspiration that it has to be 100% new that there is this thing about recombination. So I'm going to, I love the concept. I don't know if it's perfectly right yet, but I, I love what he has to say. And it's worth uh, listening to the Prof G podcast. We'll put it in the show notes. I think it's episode 16. It's called, I think it's to get unstuck, I think is the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I I have not listened to it yet, and and I'll I, I, can I be honest? Why? I love Professor Galloway. I think he's great. Um, now, how much when you listen to the show? How much is how much Kara Swisher is there? None. Oh, there's, there's none. none. No, there's none. Oh, okay, there, there's no Kara Swisher. That's the other one. This is just oh, Prof G. This is just him. Okay. This is right, just, yeah. He I'm just good. he just started this with Westwood One. Uh, so okay. he's 16, 17 weeks in, and I absolutely love it because what he starts on and he goes through kind of the state of what's going on in society today. So he's talked a lot about COVID and how that's impacting on educational institutions and whatever. And then he has an interview and then he ends with something called Algebra of Happiness, which is his book. And he ta- just talks about, you know, different things and challenges that we have in life and how, you know, how you can look at some kind of a formula behind it. And then he ends with office hours and he has people call in or he records and then he answers their yeah. questions. It's 45 oh, nice. minutes and it's fantastic. Yeah. Nice. All right. I'm going to have to give that a try. Yeah. I'm going to definitely have to give that a try. You dig it the most. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, you t- <laughs> can you dig it? I knew that you, you could. could. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. What do you What do you got? Do you have a Warriors come out and play? <laughs> do you have a, um, Do you have a Quibi update this? Week? I do have a. Well, the, the, my Quibi update really is very very quick. Um, this it's very Quibi, if you will. Um, it's uh, you know there's not a lot of news this week about Quibi, but the one news that did come out is that. Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds are reuniting for a new quick animated series at Quibi called, and I'm not even joking here, Fatha Mucka. Um, just going to let that sit there. Yeah, there's not it's much now, to say about that. That's yeah, that's say. just, I'm just going to let that, I'm just going to let that steamy steamer just like sit there. Anyway, I hope it's really delicious um, as a TV show or a Quibi show. Um, the two things that I have um, are one, a I don't know if it's a rave or, a, or, or just some commentary. Um, big hat tip here to our, of course, friend and family, Bethany. Hi, Bethany. Um, uh, at Thanny, Bethany B, blah, blah, blah. That who not, not be mentioned, you know, on the, I can't ever get her Twitter handle right. But anyway, um, she sent this over and it's just, it's via the hashtag on, on Twitter and it's fantastic. Um, basically it's, you know, do, do you ever, have you ever used the meditation app calm? Uh, I've heard of it. I have not used it. It's great. It's fantastic. By the way, it's just wonderful. Um, the calm meditation, I was using it on airplanes before we stopped getting on airplanes. Um, and it's just wonderful. Um, the article says meditation apps have been this niche centric, um, you know, respite for many, um, as, and so HBO max, um, which of course is the new online service from HBO. They're building on it and they're basically launching a new show based on the Calm app. And so Calm is participating with this and they've created this wonderful show. And I mean, it's the heart of content marketing. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it was funny in, in the tweet, um, Bethany said, you know, her prediction for our take would be, oh, it's wonderful, but we would lament the the lack of a of a um, of an addressable audience there. Maybe, uh, you know, I think very much like the Lego movie, this is, you know, just a a wonderful way for Calm to 
create awareness. And so uh, hopefully it'll make people more aware. So there, of course, will drive subscribers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'd love if there was an addressable audience moment to it, but there doesn't have to be. Anyway, the article we'll link to is from TechCrunch. Um, and it's just, a, I think, a fantastic, uh, fantastic example. So thank you to Bethany for sending that over. Um, the second piece that I will have a little bit of commentary on, just literally a cautionary tale here, um, which is uh, from Bloomberg is where I'll link to. But of course, there are so many, you know, outlets, and it just feeds into exactly what we've been talking about all show, which is the death of the cookie. Um, and the headline from the Bloomberg Business Week is basically Google's cookie fight's going to shape the future of digital advertising, and it just goes on to really walk through some of the finances of Google, of Facebook, and some of those who are leaning heavily into this, uh, the 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 need and reliance on the first party cookie. Um, to be able to do things like drive targeted advertising. And it's going away. Um, Google has announced it's going away mid next year. And this is going to just over the next six months, you're going to see a fundamental tectonic shift in Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, um, all of these companies that require and rely so heavily on cookies as a means of tracking you across the web. And whether that's you know in compliance with GDPR and compliance with CCPA, this is going to be a big shift. And so, as I've said a million times before, and we'll say again, this is if you if you are struggling with a business case for content marketing, this this may be all you need. Yeah. Because if you can keep, because what here's what Google's going to do, folks. Google is going to offer up all the same targeting capabilities, but they're going to offer it within their own little walled garden. In other words, if you want to target people on YouTube or you want to target people across the Google network or any Google content network, great. They're going to keep that first party cookie all to themselves. And so those who are building these sort of big walled gardens where they can set a cookie once and then have you go from property to property are totally fine. It's a first party cookie. They own it. They control it. They can give you the ability to untrack. All that's totally fine. That's where you want to be. That's where that you need to be there. And so you need to get identifiable information if you need that um, to help drive personalized content and all of that. But you're no longer going to be able to track it across third parties anymore. And so this is a great, you know, getting the data is a huge, huge business case here. So mm-hmm. just, you know, it's, this is the business, this is content marketing writ large in 2020. Yeah, I don't think uh, it's a great point. I don't know if enough marketers realize that this is happening. And of course the Apple with the app uh, disclaimers that they're doing. Um, what, how does that one work with Apple? When you, it'll tell you how the it's going to tell you which apps and which things are actually requesting your exactly yeah and that yeah. those things are huge and um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this falls out but yeah wow yeah yeah it's so Good. there you go um, what's the uh, so other than recovery from your um, Tito's what what else is on the uh, on the agenda uh, n- not not much uh, I'm working on the uh, the next edition of Content Inc um, I think you knew that but. Uh, I did. Yeah. Um, so that'll be out in the spring, but we're starting to get some interviews going and um, working on the model. I've got, I'm actually changing the model quite a bit um, to talk more about how to, how to sell the assets. So I'm really excited to, to start doing some, some writing against that. So that's what I've been working on this week. And you, my friend, what are you working on? I, you know, I'm actually neck deep in client work, if you can believe that. So I'm super happy about it. Um, you know, we've been, you know, and of course getting prepped for content tech and, all the things that we've got coming up at CMI, but you know, it's, it's actually quite busy. Um, so I'm really happy busy to is be good. here. And yeah, in the middle of July and be at home and be quite, quite, uh, quite busy. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. So that makes sense that you're, you're drinking the 0.0 because yeah. <laughs> you're well, working on client yeah. work. That's right. I, that Well, and then, you know, it also makes sense of why I'm then, you know, capping that off with a good tequila. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Anejo or Anejo or Reposado? Oh, Anejo. Whenever, whenever possible. Okay. Whenever possible. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's it. That's it. We're signing off. And if you like this episode, episode number 241, 
Get us a review, won't you? Get us a kind review out there. We need more reviews. We're striving to be the number one out there, and we're slowly, slowly climbing up the charts. But either subscribe, get your friends to subscribe, leave us a review. We love all of that. Um, We want more downloads. We want more reviews. We want more of you, basically. Um, Hashtag us up if you want to. Um, You can always hashtag us up on uh, hashtag uh, uh, PNR. this old, excuse me, hashtag this old marketing. Or PNR or whatever. Yeah. Or PNR. Or just any old, like. any old hashtag will do. <laughs> any old. <laughs> we, we see them all. Hashtag Kanye, whatever. That's right. Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We didn't even talk about Kanye running for president, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, well, that's, um, a, yeah that's a different show. We are publishing twice a month uh, now um, on occasion, uh, inserting the special episode show. But in the meantime, between shows, if you're looking for more Joe Polizzi, you can get that at joepolizzi.com slash newsletter. And he's got a shiny, wonderful little website where you can go get all sorts of things. Uh, him talking about everything from writing fiction to world events to, of course, marketing and content marketing. And for me, if you're interested in more specific content strategy, content marketing, technology, all that stuff... Uh, you can visit us at contentadvisory.net. And of course, yes, please do hashtag us up on the social media. We want those sh- uh, show posts and and, and wonderful uh, news items and everything that you might share with us. They are very, very helpful. Um, in the meantime, until we meet again, remember everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.